Welcome to Stargazing, a Stargate Gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And each week we discuss an episode of Stargate beginning with Stargate SG-1. Hello. Hello. Your How- name is Z- this episode Z? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I agree, because I was asleep until right about five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Naps are important. They are. How's it going? I am sleepy, but aside from that, also it's been really busy, but aside from that, it's fine. Just lots to do, lots going on. Excellent. Mostly work stuff. Well, well. Which is boring. (laughs) Exams week, so tons and tons of grading. Oh, fair. Yeah. Yeah. First round of exams for all my students. How are you? I'm doing okay. I, as you know, and also that will have happened by the time this episode is out. I am going to be in the same room as Paul McCartney in a couple days. That is very exciting. Boom. And I'm actually pretty jealous. I'm very, <laughs> very excited about it. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. He's talking about a book he wrote? Yeah, it looks like yes. he wrote a... I think I had read he wrote a book. I think it's called Lyrics. And I think it's just about his song lyrics he set up in an a to z format rather than like chronological Mm -hmm. and so i think that this talk is based around that interesting so yeah so he's not going to play music for us but yeah that's still really cool though and i'm excited for you that'll be fun thanks me too i'm excited and in my fantasy world i run into him somewhere and I tell him how my mom used to tell us that she was married to him or was going to marry him <laughs> all the time. Oh, your mom. She <laughs> <heard> stories. Yes. <laughs> your mom had a very rich inner life. <laughs> she really did. <laughs> Indeed. But yes. So I carry her with me to go see it in my heart. So. That is, aw. Yeah. Adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but yeah. So that's my excitement. Yeah, my life is not nearly as exciting as that. This did get me out of doing book club, too. Oh, nice. Sorry, the book by club the way. That I was going to crash. That's fine. Yeah. I haven't read that book anyway. I haven't read it either. I was going <laughs> to plow through it tomorrow night, but now I don't need to. I can continue to be a garbage person who doesn't read. Yay, I do read. I just haven't read that yet. <laughs> anyway. I've been reading the Murderbot series and then some other boring something not worth mentioning and currently i'm reading the princess bride nice yeah i've had that checked out for years and i still haven't read it <laughs> nice i haven't gotten all that One far day. <laughs> obviously One day. i've seen the movie a million times but I yes not, uh, i haven't gotten all that far in it yet i just started it let me know how it goes i will cool yeah you know who else is mostly dead <laughs> Who's that? For much of this episode. (laughs) Daniel. (gasps) No way. Indeed. What are we talking about today? We are talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 5, Episode 21, Meridian. Thrilling. Yeah. 
I will tell you right now that I got so bored halfway through that I'm like, I'm going to go record some lectures now because that's how bored I was that recording lectures seemed more interesting to me than <laughs> continuing to watch this episode. Fair. Yep. Let me get to the top of my notes, which are apparently endless. And I am reading the wrong ones. Hang on. Yeah. That's the Excellent. old one. That's oh, episode well, 108. That will ooh, not get me very far. You could talk about that one and we'll switch off and I'll talk about the scenes in this <laughs> one. Good. I just finished <laughs> editing that one about a half an hour ago and then I fell asleep. <laughs> yep. Still fresh in my mind. All right, nice. Apparently I didn't even download these notes. So sorry. <laughs> Super on top of things right now. Fantastic. I sent them to myself from my uh, laptop. Gotcha. It's that kind of Indeed. Okay. All right. Stargate. The episode begins with a whole lot of commotion. The gate is open. SG-1 comes in. Daniel has his hands out in front of him with a big bandage on. Everybody is upset. Sam says they need to get to the infirmary as soon as possible because... The where? uh, Infirmacy? I just didn't say infirmacy. You totally did. I don't think I did, but okay. (laughs) I might have. I don't know. (laughs) I'll believe you. Sure. The infirmacy. They're going to the infirmacy because Daniel's been exposed to radiation and they're going to rush their way there. They've got medical teams on the way to meet them. A couple people come up to Daniel in the hallway and he yells at them not to touch him. He might still be radioactive, so that's bad. Don't touch him. He might still have stuff on him. <laughs> Fraser meets him out in the hall and says they're going to go get him scrubbed down. They send him in to the infirmary or the infirmacy, whichever you prefer. <laughs> Fraser wants to know how much radiation he was exposed to. And Sam tells us that there was a device using an unstable radioactive variation of Naquita. They think his right hand was exposed to the equivalent of over nine grays of radiation. That sounds bad. I didn't know yet. Then they say that his full body was probably exposed to over seven. Still didn't know what that meant. But Sam tells us that it's bad. So I looked it up to find out. (laughs) Because of course I did. Yes. Yes. They say that it is a lethal dose. I looked it up. So in order for this to be an unstable version of Naquita or a variation of Naquita, then it would have to have the same number of protons that Naquita has, but just be a different isotope of it. So it would have to have more neutrons because if it had a different number of protons, then that would just make it a completely different element. When something radioactive is decaying, it can lose neutrons or protons or both. But it would make sense here that neutrons would be what it was losing because neutron radiation is the ionizing type that is super dangerous and would be super deadly. So they did a decentish job on the science with that part, I guess. Nice. Then I found some kind of contradicting information about how radiation is measured. Technically, from everything that I was reading, and by everything, I mean mostly Wikipedia and a couple other sources, (laughs) so may or may not be correct. A gray is used to refer to how much radiation has actually been absorbed, but they were talking about how much radiation was emitted, which would actually be at a different unit of energy, and the radiation exposure should be measured in coulombs rather than the amount of actual radiation absorbed, which is what context they were using it in here but then i did see a couple places that were talking about exposure to grays so it seems to be kind of iffy as to how they're using the terminology anyway 
Okay. But it has to do with a coulomb is a measure of electric charge versus a gray, which is a measure of energy. So anyway, take that for what you want. Long story short, five grays is lethal within 14 days. And Daniel's been exposed to a bunch more than that or has absorbed (laughs) more than that or whatever term you want to use. So yeah, that. And then other fun facts. You can also measure radioactivity present in a (laughs) substance using Baccarels, which is the standard, or you can use Curie's after Madame Curie, or Rutherford's. I got a barrel, buddy. Stop moving around. And then if we want to get even more pedantic about the danger that Daniel's in, we can start talking about equivalent doses and effective doses, which are measured in sieverts. Long story short, there are a shit ton of ways that you can measure radiation. Nice. The end. That's so good to know. Yeah. And things are not looking good for Daniel. Not so much. Credits. Credits. (laughs) After credits, we're in the briefing room with SG3 Quarters and Hammond. He is there to find out what exactly happened. So they start to talk about this planet they were on, Kelowna. I thought that was the country. Oh, it is the country. Sorry. I don't know what this planet is called. For once, this planet doesn't just have one town, but it has three whole countries. (laughs) Amazing. Right? Stargate, then, is located in Kelowna. This whole planet appears to be technologically equivalent to like the 1940s USA and they're heading into their version of a cold war yay yeah the colonians found the stargate 15 years ago and they're very interested in learning more about the stargate and where they can go maybe they could all share technology as usual you would hope that they would be a little bit picky about who they're going to share technology with on this planet that they just said is on the verge of a Cold War. Yeah. Because what if Kelowna is actually the wrong side to be sharing? Like we've anything seen before. With? Right. Yeah. How do they know that they're not going to be like offering to help Kelowna only to have Kelowna then turn around and do a whole genocide thing? Yeah. We don't know. Because as you've said, we've seen that kind of thing before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just better hope there are no uh, shapeshifters in this episode. Right? Exactly. Well, you know, if this show has taught me anything, it's that <laughs> SG-1 and the SGC never learn anything. <laughs> don't learn anything. <laughs> That's the one thing I've learned from this show, <laughs> is that the people don't learn. Yeah. We plunge right into a flashback where we meet a oddly smiling man by the name of Jonas Quinn. Hi, Jonas. Hi, Jonas. He looks like he's wearing cardboard. Not like cardboard box, but like the corrugated. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. His whole outfit reminded me of curtains. Both the undershirt and the corrugated vest. I was like, yeah, that could definitely be curtain fabric. But I could for sure see cardboard in that weird texture too. Right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Then I was just thinking about Gone with the Wind when Scarlett O'Hara actually well, I don't think she makes the dress, but I think it's Mammy that makes the dress out of curtains for her. Yeah. The curtains. knew <laughs> all the curtains. But yes, the curtains. <laughs> anyway. <Yes. laughs> Jonas Quinn is played by an actor named Karin Nemec, who I knew about from the 90s quality <laughs> television high school show, 
Parker Lewis can't lose. I know nothing about that show. I only know him from this show. Because, spoiler alert, he comes back after this episode. He does. He also played Harold Lauder in the 1990s miniseries version of The Stand by Stephen King. Didn't see that either. Read the book. Was very disappointed. The book is the longest book I've ever read. The unabridged version of that. I, I read in eighth that. grade when we were on our Washington D.C. That. Yeah. trip. <laughs> That's funny. Yes, we've known each other that long. <laughs> long time. Even longer. And it was a long yeah, fucking book. Yeah, it was. I remember you reading that. I didn't read it until very much later. <laughs> I thought it was all right. I mean, it wasn't my favorite thing, but... I'm not sure that's appropriate for an eighth grader in hindsight. Like, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> my mom... It was my mom's Fair. doing because she loved Stephen King not as much as Paul McCartney, but Fair. a lot. Fair. <laughs> so, she also took us to see Misery in the movie theaters, and that was definitely not age appropriate. I can't judge her for that. Nope. <laughs> the movie? No idea. Oh, yeah. It's basically about this author gets into an accident in Maine and is basically held hostage by this woman who's like his yeah. biggest fan. And it's just, there's a scene, Kathy Bates was in the movie, and there's a scene where they break his legs Ooh. with like a sledgehammer or yeah. something. It's just, it's a rough watch for a kid. Yeah, that is rough. <laughs> For a small I have not watched it since then. <laughs> Fair. Is that why you don't like horror movies now? Uh, that is not the only okay. reason. I can credit it a lot with Salem's Lot, but it is Fair. definitely in the lap of my mother. <laughs> <laughs> They're scary. I hate them. I love them, as you know. I know. Yeah. It depends on the type. But- I don't like body horror, so probably I would not have liked that movie yeah. with the smashing of legs with... Yeah. Yeah, it was. If I want body yeah. horror, I'll go like look at some of my textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> like my EMT yeah. textbook I remember was pretty awful. So Or I could yeah, just pull out an A&P textbook and there's some nasty stuff in there. <laughs> look at this disease. <laughs> nope. No, thank you. One time I was looking at one of my father's medical textbooks because he was an EMT and there was a gross bloody foot in it and that also lives with me. Oh yeah. There was a whole section on evulsions and just <laughs> and burns. <laughs> no. Just no, no, I could never be. And I was a volunteer EMT for a little while and thankfully never saw anything that bad, but I could not do that as a career. I do not think. Mm, no. Anyway, good for all of you that are. <laughs> Thank you for that deep dive into my childhood trauma. You're very welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. What childhood trauma can I share to. Make up oh my for gosh. it what with whatever you um, want. Everybody <laughs> thought that I was a little boy, and it traumatized me and led to a lifetime of gender confusion. There we go. Has that? That's upsetting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never thought you were a little boy. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Jonas Quinn, smiling, is very very happy to meet SG One. He is there to show them their top secret research, because why wouldn't you share that with strangers? He does look suspiciously at Teal'c, because, <laughs> you know, Teal'c's tattoo, a little intimidating. Oh, also, he's very tall, but yes, yeah, the tattoo's unique. They all say hi, and then 
he goes to show them around. And that is the end of that flashback. Then we're back in the SGC with Sam talking about how Jonas is an advisor to the high minister, which is the equivalent of a president in Kelowna. Oh, he's the Hammond then, huh? Yeah. No. He's a, no. Hammond's not an he's advisor. He's the high minister but... bestie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he's got a red phone or equivalent in his office. Yeah. Jonas does. Jonas was overseeing yeah. research that was happening at this facility. Basically just trying to make sure that it was all being done in an ethical manner, it seems like. He's got several degrees from honored educational institutions and social studies and history and he is another daniel as jack calls him he's a nerd and says that daniel and jonas got along really well then we're back in another flashback again with daniel and jonas talking as they lead the way to the research room that the experiment is being done on that we don't know about yet but we will very soon (laughs) they are talking about carbon dating which is also using radioactive isotopes, for that matter. Different type. They can determine the age of a temple or even figure out how it was destroyed. Eh, maybe. Depends on if there's any biological material in there or if it's just made of rocks, but probably. They continue nerding for a while as they walk to this research station room thing. They make their way to the observation room that's overlooking the lab. Once they get the all clear, they head inside. And the people that had been inside in full hazmat suits with helmets on take off their helmets. And we meet Thomas Lead, who is leading the project here. <laughs> Lead. Lead. Leading. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that project is using that radioactive variant of Nequita. The device seems to have the potential for great bursts of energy. And so everyone's super excited about it. SG-1 is all like, oh, okay, so it's Naquita, not Naquadria, as you keep calling it. And Jonas is like, no, we know what Naquita is. It's definitely Naquadria, which is a different thing. And then we get another flashback. Wait, nope, that was the end of the flashback. (laughs) So many flashbacks. And then back forward. Now we're in the SGC again. They were making a bomb, is what Jack says. (laughs) <laughs> they were studying this device that was made with Naquadria so that they could make a Naquita enhanced nuclear warhead because, of course, you know, the U.S. would never do anything like no. that. No. And no. SGC definitely has not done that so far. Mm. No. The Colonians, of course, were claiming to be the innocent people that were under threat of oppression. Just like Odo. <laughs> yes. You remember back there? When I told you I hated you, and you told me you hated me vividly, I just wanted you to know I meant every word of it. So did I. Thankfully, Hammond does say that they need to be careful about getting involved in this situation. So I was relieved to hear him say that. Jack's like, well, we don't need to worry about that because now they hate us, so they're not going to want to have anything to do with us anyway, because everybody blames Daniel for the whole big accident that happened. And they never want to see us again, except for they let us take Daniel home to go see the doctor. But then if he doesn't die, they want him back for trial. Fun. Yeah. Jack goes then to see Daniel in the infirmary. Daniel lets him know a lot of things about his body that are 
going wrong and or are going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. It's quite a list. Yes. Tremors, inflaming organs, degrading organs, ataxia, mm-hmm. necrosis, Yikes. good times. So much good stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, Daniel's prognosis, not good. No. Jack's like, maybe there's something we can do. And Daniel's like, no, we can't just go talk to our friends off world every time one person's life is in danger. My life's no better than anyone else's. Okay, Daniel, you're one of the stars of the show. You know that's not true. Right? But anyway. Yeah. Jack asks Daniel then what actually happened because they were not present when this thing that they think Daniel did happened. Daniel just says there was an accident and he guesses the scientists decided to blame him because it was easy and there's nothing he can do about it. I like blaming other people for my accidents. Me too. I'm going to spill my soda and I'm going to say it's you. (laughs) Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to throw my wine in your face and tell you that it was Michael Shanks. (laughs) That'd be a fun story. Michael Shanks threw wine at me. He wasn't even in the room. He just appeared out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Daniel just says that what the Colonian people are doing is basically the same thing the Gould tried. And they seem to have nearly blown themselves up or did blow themselves up, which I don't know that we established that. Daniel warned them, but they're not listening and they still are planning to build the bomb. So, you know, blaming Daniel's the easiest way to keep doing that. Yeah. Basically. In Hammond's office, Jack comes in and we find out that the Asgard are not responding and Jacob is busy trying to find the last of the undercover Tok'ra. I really want to know how many Tok'ra are left, but... Doesn't sound like a lot. Yeah, I guess not. (laughs) They have intelligence on a sarcophagus, but the report was old and Hammond reminds Jack of how badly that technology affects people. And Jack's like, yeah, but Daniel's been in it dozens of times. Once more isn't going to hurt, which, yeah, if it's going to save his life, yeah. it would seem worth it to me. Hammond isn't willing to risk that many people, though, because he says that we're trying to get that sarcophagus would cause too many significant casualties, which begs the question, well, once you have the sarcophagus, though, why not just stick all those casualties in the sarcophagus to bring them back? Then you have all of those people back and a sarcophagus and you can save Daniel. But that's not a storyline that they pursue. So here we are. What if they couldn't take all the people with them? Then people would still die for this one guy. I was assuming that they would put them in the sarcophagus once they had secured the chamber. Fair. I'm just thinking about piling them all in as they're carrying this thing running back to the Stargate, like just tossing guys yeah. on top of each other. Yeah. Then yeah. what happens? So if you put multiple people in there, then what happens? What if you end up with like I don't know. Uh, uh, the fly situation where you have these people kind of just half merged together because the sarcophagus Maybe. is like, I don't know. I guess these go together. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. Probably. Or maybe you just get Jeff Goldblum. I don't know. (laughs) That's not terrible. Nope. Definitely not. (laughs) And then it's Jurassic Park. Yay. Yeah. Put two Daniels in, get out a Goldblum or something. That seems like a fair exchange to me. (laughs) Anyway, that's it for that scene. (laughs) Jack is just making the rounds. Now he's off to visit Sam. 
He asks if they've got anything to help Daniel, but no. She's been doing some mathing, though, some stamming of things to talk about how much energy the experiment generated and how much potential it has to generate even more energy. It's much more powerful than their weapons-grade Naquita. She says that this could be some missing link in their technology, so they could do things like go into hyperspace or shield their ships, if they have ships. So they need more Naquadria, is what she's saying. In the briefing room, SG-3 Quarters and Hammond are all there talking some more about... How the Kilunans are just using Daniel as a scapegoat. Daniel's still not telling them exactly what happened, but they're sure that whatever it was, it was not his fault. I don't know how they could be sure of that, though, because if there's one thing we all know about Daniel at this point, it's that he loves touching stuff. (laughs) He does. Jack tells Hammond that he cannot capitulate to the Kilunans. And I was like, see, Jack, you're so full of shit when you say you don't understand big words. (laughs) We all know you're smarter than you pretend to be. They just keep going back and forth about how Daniel's not guilty, but there's no way that they know of to convince the Kilonan government because they have no actual evidence. They just know for sure that Daniel would not have done whatever it is that would have caused this accident. But they do all agree that they need to try to reestablish diplomatic negotiations in order to get some Nequadria. And Jack is going to go back to the planet to deliver a letter to someone, presumably their prime minister... So he goes back and runs into Jonas Quinn. Jonas asks if the letter he brought is an apology. (laughs) And Jack's like, hell no. You're all a bunch of liars. Jonas is sorry to hear of Daniel's condition. And two of the scientists that were with him in the room are already dead. And two more are also on their way out. Jonas wants to know, though, why they're even there trying to keep a relationship and Jack's like, we want your Nequadria. Subtle. And Jonas is like, we really like that. And it's very valuable. And we probably won't give you any. Jack is using this whole thing, though, as a ruse to find out from Jonas what the hell actually happened. Because he does not want Daniel's good name tarnished. It is a good thing. He doesn't ever talk about the genocide. Right? I was actually just thinking that exact exact same thing. His good name where he killed all of the hagfish babies. They're arguing back and forth quite a bit over this. Jonas is like, it's really important that we keep going. Other nations are going to kill us first if we don't do this. And Jack's like, I don't care. Weapons of mass destruction are not a good thing. And the only way they're useful is if you actually use one. So that's not going to work out the way you're hoping it will. So, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Then we're in the infirmary with Daniel, who is not looking so good. He's got more bandages. Bandages. Yeah, wow. Bandages. Bandages. And open sores on his skin. Bandages in the infirmary. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He's getting some ice packs, presumably to help with the pain. Sam comes in and says that he looks awful. And Fraser's like, yeah, well, he's going to get way worse. And very soon, Sam wants to know what they can do for him. And there is nothing except for sedatives and painkillers. That is it. And she says that the truth is he'd be a lot better off if I 
And we all know that euthanasia is not a thing in this country. So she cuts herself off there, even though it should be. But it's not. No. Sam, though, realizes there's something she can try. And I wrote about time because I was thinking about this hand device the whole time they were talking about the freaking sarcophagus. I totally forgot about the hand device until now because <laughs> I was still thinking about what about the fucking sarcophagus? <laughs> Just go get it. <laughs> she goes back to Daniel's room with the sarcophagus. The rest of the with team the sarcophagus. Has also- <laughs> <laughs> she's really strong. <laughs> she's in the- and she's yes. so badass. She overcame all the Jaffa that were guarding it. Exactly. Like, very, very impressive. And she carried it straight from the gate room into the infirmary. Yeah. And. <laughs> and she's ready but no instead she's got the healing hand device she's not sure it's gonna work in fact she thinks maybe she could make it worse they try anyway unfortunately it does make things worse he has a seizure he has the most awful seizure face he does yeah like good job but oh i was like oh man i don't want to look at him like that right that didn't work Dr. Fraser's tending to him. The camera sort of focuses on Daniel and then the lights dim. And then suddenly Daniel is up and about. He's wearing his regular SG clothes. He is in the gate room where a business lady is there to greet him <laughs> in her business suit and her business hairstyle. I didn't get a business hairstyle impression so much as a just stepped out of 1940s hairstyle yeah she's going for it she's a lady either from the 40s or the 80s i'm not sure her shoulder pads weren't that big but anyway they were pretty big though yeah (laughs) anyway this woman tells daniel his fate is in his hands and she knows things because she got an mba i'm done (laughs) she works as hard as she plays or something i don't know i'm gonna stop now (laughs) She can have it all, Kathy. <laughs> yep. She only makes a brief appearance, though, to tell Daniel that his fate is in his hands, and then we're back in the infirmary again. <laughs> Apparently, Daniel can still talk, even though he really doesn't look like he should be able to. No. Jack comes in and tells Daniel, I'm really bad at this. Daniel's like, yep, you sure are. <laughs> they have a little chat about their attempts to get the Nequadria. Jack promises Daniel that he's not going to take the blame for this. No matter what, he's going to make sure that Daniel is declared innocent and that this will not be his last act on official record. And then Daniel says, Oma, and Jack's like, what? And then we get yet another dream sequence with Daniel back with Oma DeSala again. He comments on the fact that she looks different because it is, of course, a completely different actor than it was the first time. <laughs> also, we really only kind of saw like a cloudy, totally CG image before. True. So I actually don't even think it was a real actor the last time. I think it was just a CG image the first time. But who knows? Anyway, I guess here they're like, I guess we should add an actual actor because we need to make her talk <laughs> now. They have a little back and forth with not saying anything like in the first episode with the monk and Oma Dasala in it and it was annoying of course everybody knows that a tall man cannot hide in the short grass Oma Dasala mm. thank you for reminding us all of that this is where I actually wrote in my notes this is a very annoying conversation I'm bored I hate this 
And then I paused the episode to go record some lectures. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pointless conversation. I just feel like the gist, though, is that Oma DeSella wants Daniel to ascend. So let's go. I mean, you know, do your thing. Follow me. This is true. Yeah, I suppose yeah. they did say that there. I don't know. I got too bored even and, just reading my notes to get that far. Yeah. <laughs> and she's there to help him, but not in an obvious way. She's yeah. just going to say cryptic things right. and be annoying. Yeah. The river tells no lies. Though standing on the shore, the dishonest man still hears them. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the infirmary, Jonas Quinn has come to Earth, and he is there what? to see Daniel. Oh, What? And Jack, obviously. Mm -hmm. Okay. All of them. Yeah. yeah. Jack asks Jonas why he's there. Jonas has come through. He has brought some Nequadria in what looks like a cash box. It does. He has had a change of heart about the weapon and about what happened. So he was a little, uh, what's the word, disturbed by, I guess his bestie isn't so bestie yeah. because he... That bestie is totally into all of the power of the weapon, and Jonas was totally turned off by that. Then he told them what happened. And then we get to see what happened in another flashback. We sure do. Yes. Daniel and Jonas are uh, having a chat. Jonas read a book in one night. Oh, you're so special. (laughs) I'm Jonas. I read things. I do that sometimes, too. Yeah. And he's very happy. It's going to be useful to him. Jonas is more interested, though, in... I guess this was about translations that they found in their, whatever, gold ruins. Yeah. It was not a book called Night Bitch like you were supposed to be reading. No. (laughs) (laughs) It was not Night Bitch. (laughs) Jonas, though, doesn't care about that. He wants to be an explorer like them. They're talking about, again, the Nequadria, how powerful it is, what it can do. The Gould, he tells them, we're experimenting with this technology and that destroyed them, which, again, I'm not really sure where he's getting that. I don't know if he read that somewhere on some translation that they wrote while they were dying and carving ah. <laughs> Perhaps he was dictating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel had also told Jonas how dangerous it is out there amongst the stars. And Jonas is like, well, if that's true, then we might need these weapons. And Daniel's like, yeah, but I don't think you guys are ready for that. They get to the observation room outside of the lab again. They're watching some experiment happening where they're trying to generate power. And they're trying to do it slowly and subtly. But then something fucking happens. (laughs) It sure does. There's some... Yeah. There was like this space between one part of the device and the other that they kept pushing closer together to make the energy happen. And then suddenly it just gets pushed into each other. Yeah. Generating lots of energy. And everyone's like, oh shit. The people inside tell them to get down and stay away. Does Daniel do that, though? No. Of course oh, he doesn't. No. No, he doesn't. No. Jonas does. There's some other guy in there that also ducks and gets out of the way. Daniel, he keeps yeah. standing there. Yeah. I, yeah. Was it Thomas, I think, pieces out of there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's then, right. Because Thomas was, at, yeah. was in the observation. That was who the other person was. Thomas was in the observation room with them. Was it Thomas? Yeah. Yeah. 
and they both duck and get around the corner from the window. <laughs> yeah. Daniel's just like, what? Daniel, however, yeah. Daniel's like, shit, we're all going to die. I'm actually going to do something about it. So he takes out his gun. It shoots the glass. Seems like a bad idea. I, yes. How did he and... not get hit by any ricochet? Because he put a bunch <laughs> of bullets into that glass that he were not going through initially. It, and then he jumped through it. Yeah. <laughs> It's his big hero moment. He jumps through the glass and we see him like try to touch the device. See, but it's always touching stuff. Fat. He's always touching stuff. So he uses his shirt sleeve to touch the device some more so that he can pull it apart so they don't all die. So yeah. Yeah. Daniel saved them all. Yeah. While the rest of them were just going to die. And then we see Jonas just looking down on him from the observation room. And I half expected them to put their hands up on the glass. And for Daniel to tell Jonas that he has been and always will be his friend. <laughs> but then they couldn't do that because there was no glass because Daniel destroyed it and <laughs> jumped through it. So we didn't get that touching scene. No. Yeah. Then back in current day on the SGC again, Jonas says that everybody should be recognizing Daniel as a hero because he apparently saved millions of lives with that act, which cleared up some of the confusion for me because I was like, why don't they just all run out? Why is Daniel going into that room and breaking the barrier by destroying the glass only to then expose everybody? But apparently the explosion would have been big enough that millions of people would have died, not just the people in the building who could have evacuated. So it was that a bigger deal bad. than I had yeah. initially realized that he did that. <laughs> and then we're back in another dream sequence. Daniel's talking about how millions could still die. But Oma says that the future is never certain, and he was very heroic. But Daniel is regretting that he did not destroy the device, and his whole life is pointless and has been a failure, which seems quite melodramatic to me, but Daniel is having quite a pity party for himself. And then Sam is suddenly there in the dream because she's talking by his bedside, so as people come to talk by his bedside, they show up in his dream. Sam tells him that Jonas had a change of heart. We're then back in the infirmary looking at Sam continuing to talk to Daniel from the bedside and she's telling him about the Nequadria. She just gets upset about the fact that he's dying and I was just thinking, well, Daniel's died so many times. Shouldn't they all kind of be used to this by now? Because he's died at least like, what, five or six times so far? A bit, yeah. (laughs) And then we're back and yet another stupid dream sequence. (laughs) Would you like to take it or do you want me to keep going? Oh, hit that dream sequence. You got this. It's like a line. (laughs) Uma is not going to buy into Daniel's pity party because he can't reach enlightenment unless he thinks he's worthy. And Daniel's like, well, I guess I don't get to be enlightened. Thanks for noticing me. (laughs) Tilk comes into the infirmary, not in the dream, back in the infirmary. (laughs) He has a little funerary statue, an Egyptian funerary statue that Daniel gave him. And Tilk says that the spirit of the statue is supposed to serve the owner in the afterlife. And he sweetly gives it to Daniel. Mm. And then we're back in dream Daniel world. Yay. Where he thanks Tilk and says, I'm not dead yet. (laughs) He can dance and he can sing. Go, go for a walk. (laughs) (laughs) But he admits things don't look good. Tilk then says, if you're going to die, I want you to know I believe the fight against the Gould has lost one of its greatest warriors, which was very sweet. Mm -hmm. 
And then he says, and I will have lost one of my greatest friends. And that was very sad. And then he looked like he was going to cry, and I was very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make Teal cry. No. Then we get another dream sequence with Oma and Daniel. Oh, boy. Where she says more nonsense. Yeah. Some of the same nonsense as the first episode that the monk said. If you immediately know the candlelight is fire, the meal was cooked a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. She asks Daniel why he thinks he's a failure. He did open the Stargate. He's like, no, other people did a lot of work. And then you free people from evil on Abydos. But then Daniel's like, well, I've got this picture of Sharae, so I'm going to really revel in this pity party. And he's like, I could have just stayed there and lived with her and not unburied the gate and... It's my fault she died. I couldn't save her. I couldn't save my girlfriend. (laughs) There's gold everywhere still. And maybe I did some good, but nothing changes. Oma is much nicer about it than Daniel. Which Daniel's being hard on himself. Yes. But he's just... I I just don't know where it's coming from. Yeah, it does seem oddly... (laughs) It's not a side of him that we've seen before. It seemed to come out of nowhere. They start talking about Daniel's enlightenment journey again. Daniel says, well, I'm the only one who can judge myself, right? So uh, I'm bad at life and so I don't deserve it. Oma continues to try to get him out of this terrible funk he's in, which I guess, to be fair, he's dying. So, okay. There's that. She wants him to judge himself by his intention and not necessarily by the outcome and also by his strength. Also, your friends have been here talking about how great you are this whole time. And then she tells him the universe is vast and we are small and the only thing we can ever truly control is whether we're good or evil. And I guess... Meh. Meh. That was the end of that. I mean, a lot of that has to do with your genetics and your brain chemistry. So I would argue you can't even control that much necessarily. (laughs) To some extent, sure. But not completely. Cool. Yeah. In the briefing room, Jonas is there. And it turns out he stole the Nequadria. And if he goes back to his planet, he's going to be a traitor. So I can has asylum? (laughs) Of course he can. And then there's an unauthorized incoming wormhole. What happened to off-world activation? Yeah, I don't know. They don't say that this time. <laughs> Unscheduled off-world activation. Yeah, they've Come changed on. it. Now it's unauthorized incoming wormhole. Okay, Pualter. Yeah. Maybe he just wanted to change things up. He got bored. Maybe, maybe. I mean, he's got he's had one job for a very long time. <laughs> just <laughs> saying that thing that a recording could say. So <laughs> he wanted a little bit of variety. One job on this ship. Yep. (laughs) It's stupid, but I'm going to do it. It's Jacob, is the moral of that story. (laughs) Jacob comes in and he's ushered straight to the infirmary because he is going to try to use the healing device that Sam was not able to. I was wondering if Jacob had brought a hagfish with him, if that would have worked to save Daniel. Oh, yeah. But Daniel would have had to accept that. Yeah. Or would we just have then ended up with a radioactive Tokra? Radio- who was then also radioactive dying. Radioactive hagfish? Maybe. A radioactive hagfish that is also dying. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like by this point, he's in pretty bad shape, so it would be hard. Right. There are limits to the healing abilities we've seen for the hagfish. Yeah. As we've learned from Lantanial. Hmm. Alas. True. Yeah. He sparkle blings for a moment. Yeah. Then Selmac says he's not sure it's going to go well. And even if it does, I can't restore him to his full healthy state. They ask him to try anyway, so he starts up again. And then we're back in Daniel's dream, and Oma's about to leave, and Daniel's like, you can't leave. Who else is going to listen to my pity party? <laughs> but Oma says that the rest is up to him, so there's not anything more for her to do there. Daniel realizes that they're trying to save him, and she tells him that, well, then your life's going to continue like it did before. Suddenly, Daniel doesn't want that anymore. He wants to ascend now. He doesn't want to live. So that's an abrupt change. So Oma's like, all right, well, cool. Then you got to get them to stop. So Daniel goes down and touches Jack on the shoulder, and that makes Jack appear in his dream sequence. And I guess Jack can hear and see him or is at least vaguely aware of the dream sequence. But he doesn't seem surprised at all. Daniel. Yeah. Did you want something? Yeah. So it was weird. <laughs> Daniel tells Jack to make Jacob stop because Daniel wants to move on. Jack doesn't really react. He's just like, oh, you're giving up? He's like, not like, you're giving up? Or you're giving up? No, just, oh. You're just giving up? No. It was weird. Very weird. <laughs> Daniel, though, <laughs> says that it's not giving up. Then Oma Dasala makes her appearance. And she changes into a light being and then goes through the Stargate. So, I mean, I guess that does look kind of fun, though, so... She has a business meeting. She does have a business meeting. Very busy person. Very several, full schedule. Several. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And then a three martini lunch. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. Actually, I do not want martinis. <laughs> no, thank you. I've had beer. I'll have beer for lunch. All right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Daniel's like, you remember Oma, right? And then Daniel again asks Jack to tell Jacob to stop. And we are back out of the dream sequence again. And Jack calmly tells Jacob to stop. And Jacob is like, what? <laughs> Jack, though, says it's what Daniel wants. Jacob is still like, uh, does somebody else want to step in and say something here? <laughs> but Jack's like, no, we got to let him go. And then Daniel just dies. Yeah. Well, he flatlines. And then I was surprised yes. that Fraser didn't pull out the paddles, but she didn't. Yeah, she didn't pull out the paddles. Yeah. Daniel turns into an Oma de Sala himself and floats out of his body. That was surprisingly easy. Yes. <laughs> okay. And he floats on away or out. Then we're back in the dream room where Daniel says he's going to miss them all. Jack says he'll miss him too. And, you know, maybe we'll uh, see each other around, right? Because... You're not really dead. You're only kind of dead. <laughs> Just mostly dead. Yeah. Daniel doesn't know what's out there or where he's going, but he's going. And then he goes through the gate and that's it. And he's gone. <laughs> oh, and then in the infirmary, he actually leaves through the ceiling. Walk. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the end of Daniel. Yeah. Bye, Daniel. Bye, Daniel. Did you like the episode? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. Well, okay. 
I hated this flashback garbage. Yeah. It, I just felt like an annoying way to do this. It sure was. And then the dream sequence, fine, whatever. That's fine. I didn't mind that. Yeah. So mostly it was that. I didn't like the way they structured it. Yeah. And there were touching moments like when people are sad and Daniel's dying. I found in this watch through Daniel not quite as insufferable as I have in the past. Same. So I wasn't actively glad he died this time. <laughs> Whereas last time I was like, thank God, someone <laughs> put him out of his misery. So I'm glad of that. I feel like it made the episode a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to see Jonas Quinn. He's going to be in further episodes at this point. We should, yeah. I don't know, acknowledge that again. And yeah, I like his character. So I'm Same. looking forward to more Jonas Quinn. And they did leave it open for Michael Shanks slash Daniel to come back. So it's not one of those final dead things anyway. Yeah. And also, since he's been dead before, it <laughs> like, how long is this going to last? Daniel dying doesn't really mean anything, we have learned. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, I didn't really enjoy the episode. It had its moments. That's yeah. about it. Fair. <laughs> how about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. It was really annoying. It was just a weird scattered jumble. Like, all of these scenes were just so short between flashbacks and present day and dream sequence and just the constant jumping around. It was just... Not hard to follow, but weird. I did actually find it a little hard to follow at some times because I was like, wait, is he on Kelowna now or is this flashback? Because when Jack went back yeah. there with the letter, I thought that it was more flashback. And we, and then oh, I was like, wait, yeah, no, fair. this is present day. So, yeah, that was weird. It also seemed really odd to me how Daniel obviously didn't want to die initially, but then he just very suddenly went to being confused and not wanting to die and not knowing how to ascend and feeling like his life was worthless to, oh no, okay, I'm going to go now uh, and I'm going to ascend. It's fine. So it was just like such a sudden and weird transition to knowing how yeah. to ascend and being ready to do it that I found it, well, I don't want to say implausible because like the whole thing was implausible, but <laughs> it was weird that it was just such a quick switch in yeah. his mindset yeah you know that we had talked about this before because the rumor is that daniel or that michael shanks left the show because he felt like his character was being underutilized and you and i were talking before i don't think it was actually even like on a recording but we were talking about how they've kind of been utilizing his character less and less but i was wondering how much of that was because he had already told them that he was gonna leave or because he was being oh. difficult to work with or what so who knows? Yeah, so I was wondering, like, okay, well, I guess I hadn't even noticed, but you're right that they do kind of use his character a little bit less, particularly throughout the season. But yeah, how much of that was because he already told them he was quitting? So that's a good point. Who knows? As we've talked about, he did have a lot of entertaining moments, increasingly more entertaining and fewer annoying moments. So it is a little <laughs> sad to see him go here, but I agree. Yeah. In past watchings, I've been more relieved that he was gone than I am this time through. Also, I forgot that it was like the second to last episode of a season, which yeah, seems like a really weird time. Weird. And I also forgot that Jonas Quinn was not from this planet. I forgot how he was introduced. Oh, okay. I remembered his character, but I couldn't remember how they introduced him. And I totally forgot that he was supposed to be from a different planet. So that part was interesting. Yeah, I wonder if they did that not making it the last one because they wanted the last episode to actually be exciting. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. They didn't want to end this entire <laughs> or season on a downer. A bummer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do often like to go out with a bang. 
Yes. Which is how you like it, too. So otherwise, after the season break, I don't know how many people would be like, yeah, I'm totally coming back for next season after this. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, weren't you telling me that there's like a really like huge Spock-like love of or a Spock-like attraction or something weird about being Spock-like, which I thought was weird. I don't have the actual article up yeah. in front of me, but I found this article that was written, I think, contemporaneously to this where they were talking about the reaction of Michael Shanks leaving and how particularly the ladies were very upset about it. <laughs> and which it was just a weird way for them to. Yeah. This was the paragraph that just, it was like, indeed it was Shanks character with his Spock like appeal to female fans who many viewers saw as the pivotal figure in the Stargate universe. At least 40 distinct fan-produced websites are developed to Shanks alone. About the same number as are devoted to Matt Damon or Brad Pitt. Yeah, that's All weird. this for an actor on an off-network show who employs no personal publicist. I mean, it's not like Leonard Nimoy wasn't attractive, but he wasn't known for being a heartthrob on Star Trek. You know, not on the show. Maybe just like a contingent of fandom, I yeah. guess, maybe is where they're going with that. I guess. But I just, the website thing is what really killed me because yeah. the time frame, yes, I feel like it was more nerds on the internet. So it would be more likely for like a Stargate show to have more fan sites than something with Brad Pitt or yeah, Matt Damon or whoever they were talking about. Right. But also, where did they get that count? Yeah. Did they just, like, try to Google it and this, they just counted as they found them? Like, that's not a, the best way either. Right. Also, are they taking into account, like, visitation to those websites? <laughs> I doubt that. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> that's a weird article. Yes. I can go set up, like, 20 free Michael Shanks websites right now. Right. How do we know that Michael <laughs> Shanks didn't set up all of those websites himself when he was well, doing whatever he was doing during his time off? <laughs> he didn't have a publicist, so obviously, how could he? Right. Yeah. <laughs> not Not possible. Yeah. I mean, there was no Squarespace, so making a website would have been harder back then. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I just thought that was really funny. The reason I was looking at it is because I had been reading articles trying to, like, see why. But, it, I mean, it definitely, I don't know, there seemed to be kind of conflicting things. But I can see if Michael Shanks wasn't happy with the way his character was going, yeah. then I could see him leaving. Right. It seemed to be, from the things I've read, it was mostly creative differences and he didn't think they were using his character well enough. Yeah. But as you said, there's also some other conflicting information about it. Yeah. Because other than Osiris, he really hasn't had much to do since Sharae died. True. Not that most of them get a lot of personal stuff going on besides like that Jack and Sam are in love with each other and Sam's dad is a hagfish. <laughs> we see Teal'c's family because the Jafar are part of it. But I actually even feel like uh, Teal'c was a little bit de-emphasized this, uh, this season too. Yeah. Yeah, we've know. talked about that with his character yeah. a couple times before. Yeah. Like sometimes he's barely there at all. Right. It's weird. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> What's next? Next, the final episode of Stargate SG-1 Season 5 is episode 22, Revelations. Still dealing with the death of one of their own, SG-1 must put its mounting... Nope. <laughs> that says morning. <laughs> I can read. <laughs> Let me turn this light on. Okay, there we go. Good job. 
SG-1 must put its mourning aside in order to confront the warlord Anubis, who has captured the Asgard leader Thor so he can extract the secrets of their ancient technology for universe domination. That does sound like a better end to the season. It does, yes. I do (laughs) think that if they had ended on this one, they probably would have gotten a lot of Michael Shanks stands that just did not come back next season. Yeah, yeah. Which probably a bit happened anyway, but... Yeah, but if they at least go out on a better note and are showing people like, look, we'll still be okay. Yeah. It'll (laughs) be more tempting. Yeah, there's still things going on in this universe. Yeah. Look at me, says Jack. Look at me. (laughs) Look at me. Pay attention to me. As always, thanks for listening. If you haven't already done so, make sure you subscribe so you can get our episodes as soon as they come out every Wednesday. Likes and reviews are greatly appreciated because they help other people find the show. We love to hear from you, so you can find us on Instagram and Mastodon. You can email us at stargatesing at gmail.com, and you can message us through our website, which is stargatesing.space. And if you're feeling generous, you can help support the show over at patreon.com slash stargatesing. I'm Mary. I'm Kathy. And you've been listening to Stargating the end. The end of Woo. Daniel. Oh. Or is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. You went there. <laughs> I did. And a lot of this is just so talky, 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 talky. And then we get another flashback. Wait, nope. That was the end of the flashback. <laughs> So many flashbacks.